0: Chapter Thirty-One of Charlie to the Rescue. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rachel. Charlie to the Rescue by R. M. Ballantyne. Chapter Thirty-One. Failure and a New Sense. Although our hero's plan of search may seem to some rather quixotic, there was nothing further from his thoughts than merely playing at the game of amateur detective being enthusiastic and sanguine besides being spurred on by an intense desire to rescue the father of may leather charlie brooke was thoroughly in earnest in his plan he knew that it would be useless to attempt such a search and rescue in any other capacity than that of a genuine pauper at least in appearance and action he therefore resolved to conduct the search in character and to plunge at once into the deepest pools of the slums it is not our intention to carry the reader through the arabian night-like adventures which he experienced in his quest suffice it to say that he did not find the lost man in the pools in which he fished for him but he ultimately after many weeks found one who led him to the goal he aimed at meanwhile there were revealed to him numerous phases of life or rather of living death in the slums of the great city which caused him many a heartache at the time and led him ever afterwards to consider with anxious pity the condition of the poor the so-called lost and lapsed the depraved degraded and unfortunate of course he found as so many had found before him that the demon drink was at the bottom of most of the misery he witnessed but he also learned that whereas many weak and vicious natures dated the commencement of their final descent and fall from the time when they begin to drink many of the strong and ferocious spirits had begun a life of wickedness in early youth and only added drink in after years as a little additional fuel to the already roaring flame of sin. It is well known that men of all stamps and creeds and classes are to be found in the low lodging-houses of all great cities. At first Charlie did not take note of this, being too earnestly engaged in the search for his friend, and anxious to avoid drawing attention on himself. But as he grew familiar with these scenes of misery and destitution, he gradually began to be interested in the affairs of other people, and, as he was eminently sympathetic, he became the confidant of several paupers, young and old, a few tried to draw him out but he quietly checked their curiosity without giving offence it may be remarked here that he at once dropped the style of talk which he had adopted when representing jim mace because he found so many in the lodging houses who had fallen from a good position in society that grammatical language was by no means singular his size and strength also saved him from much annoyance for the roughs who might otherwise have bullied him felt that it would be wise to leave him alone on one occasion however his pacific principles were severely tested as well as his manhood and as this led to important results we must recount the incident there was a little lame elderly man who was a habitual visitor at one of the houses which our hero frequented he was a humorous character who made light of his troubles and was a general favorite charlie had felt interested in the man and in ordinary circumstances would have inquired into his history but as we have said he laid some restraint on his natural tendency to inquire and sympathize as it was however he showed his good will by many little acts of kindness such as making way for zook so he was called when he wanted to get to the general fire to boil his tea or coffee giving him a portion of his own food on the half pretence that he had eaten as much as he wanted etc there was another habitue of the same lodging named stoker whose temperament was the very opposite to that of little zook he was a huge burly dock labourer an ex prize-fighter and a disturber of the peace wherever he went between stoker and zook there was nothing in common save their poverty and the former had taken a strong dislike to the latter presumably on the ground of zook's superiority in everything except bulk of frame charlie had come into slight collision with stoker on zook's account more than once and had tried to make peace between them but stoker was essentially a bully he would listen to no advice and had more than once told the would-be peacemaker to mind his own business one evening towards the close of our hero's search among the lodging-houses little zook entered the kitchen of the establishment teapot and penny loaf in hand he hastened towards the roaring fire that might have roasted a whole sheep and which served to warm the entire basement story or kitchen of the tenement here zook said charlie as the former passed the table at which he was seated taking his supper i've bought more than i can eat as usual i've got two red herrings and can eat only one will you help me it's all fish that comes to my net charlie said the little man skipping towards his friend and accepting the herring with a grateful but exaggerated bow we omitted to say that our hero passed among the paupers by his christian name which he had given as being from its very universality the best possible alias a few minutes later stoker entered and went to the fire where loud angry voices soon told that the bully was at his old game of peace disturber presently a cry of shame was heard and poor zook was seen lying on the floor with his nose bleeding who cried shame demanded the bully looking fiercely around i did not said Charlie brooke striding towards him for i did not know it was you who knocked him down but i do cry shame on you now for striking a man so much smaller than yourself and without provocation i warrant and pray who are you returned stoker in a tone that was meant to be witheringly sarcastic i am one who likes fair play said Charlie, restraining his anger For he was still anxious to throw oil on the troubled waters and if you call it fair play for a heavy weight like you to attack such a lightweight as zook you must have forgotten somehow that you are an englishman come now stoker say to zook you are sorry and won't worry him any more and i'm sure he'll forgive you here here cried several of the onlookers perhaps i may forgive him said zook with a humorous leer as he wiped his bleeding nose i'd do almost anything to please charlie this was received with a general laugh, but Stoker did not laugh. He turned on her hero with a look of mingled pity and contempt. No, Mr. Charlie, he said, I won't say I'm sorry, because I'd tell a big lie if I did, and I'll worry him just as much as I please. But I'll tell you what I'll do. If you show yourself as ready with your bunches of fives as you are with your tongue, and agree to fight me, I'll say to Zook that I'm sorry and won't worry him any more. There was dead silence for a minute after the delivery of this challenge, and much curiosity was exhibited as to how it would be taken. Charlie cast down his eyes in perplexity. Like many big and strong men, he was averse to use his superior physical powers in fighting. Besides this, he had been trained by his mother to regard it as more noble to suffer than to avenge insults, and there is no doubt that if the bully's insult had affected only himself, he would have avoided him, if possible, rather than come into conflict. Having been trained also to let Scripture furnish him with rules for action, his mind irresistibly recalled the turning of the other cheek to the smiter, but the fact that he was at that moment acting in defense of another, not of himself, prevented that from relieving him. Suddenly, like the lightning flash, there arose to him the words, "'Smite a scorner, and the simple will beware.' Indeed, all that we have mentioned, and much more, passed through his troubled brain with the speed of light. Lifting his eyes calmly to the face of his opponent, he said— I accept your challenge no no charlie cried the alarmed zook in a remonstrative tone you'll do nothing of the sort the man's an old prize-fighter you haven't a chance why i'll fight him myself rather than let you do it and with that the little man began to square up and twirl his fists and skip about in front of the bully in spite of his lameness but took care to keep well out of his reach it's a bargain then said charlie holding out his hand done answered the bully grasping it well then the sooner we settle this business the better continued charlie where shall it come off prize fightin's against the law suggested an old pauper who seemed to fear they were about to set to in the kitchen so it is old man said charlie and i would be the last to engage in such a thing but this is not a prize fight for there's no prize it's simply a fight in defence of weakness against brute strength and tyranny there were only a few of the usual inhabitants of the kitchen present at the time for it was yet early in the evening this was lucky as it permitted of the fight being gone about quietly in the upper part of the building there was an empty room of considerable size which had been used as a furniture store and happened at that time to have been cleared out with the view of adding it to the lodging there it was arranged the event should come off and to this apartment proceeded all the inhabitants of the kitchen who were interested in the matter a good many however remained behind some because they did not like fights some because they did not believe that the parties were in earnest others because they were too much taken up with and oppressed by their own sorrows and a few because being what is called fuddled they did not understand or care anything about the matter at all thus it came to pass that all the proceedings were quiet and orderly and there was no fear of interruption by the police Arrived at the scene of action, a ring was formed by the spectators standing round the walls, which they did in a single row, for there was plenty of room. Then Stoker strode into the middle of the room, pulled off his coat, vest, and shirt, which he flung into a corner, and stood up, stripped to the waist, like a genuine performer in the ring. Charlie also threw off coat and vest, but retained his shirt, an old striped cotton one, in harmony with his other garments. "'I'm not a professional,' he said, as he stepped forward. "'You've no objection, I suppose, to my keeping on my shirt.' "'None whatever,' replied Stoker, with a patronizing air. "'Perhaps it may be as well for fear you should catch cold.' Charlie smiled and held out his hand. "'You see,' he said, "'that I at least understand the civilities of the ring.' There was an approving laugh at this as the champion shook hands and stood on guard. "'I am quite willing even yet,' said Charlie, while in this attitude, "'to settle this matter without fighting if you'll only agree to leave Zook alone in future.' This was a clear showing of the white feather in the opinion of Stoker, who replied with a thundering, No! and at the same moment made a savage blow at Charlie's face. Our hero was prepared for it. He put his head quickly to one side, let the blow pass, and with his left hand lightly tapped the bridge of his opponent's nose. Ha! Ha! Hammy tour! exclaimed the ex-pugilist in some surprise. Charlie said nothing, but replied with the grim smile with which in his school days he had been wont to indicate that he meant mischief the smile passed quickly however for even at that moment he would gladly have hailed a truce so deeply did he feel what he conceived to be the degradation of his position a feeling which neither his disreputable appearance nor his miserable associates had yet been able to produce but nothing was further from the intention of stoker than a truce savages usually attribute forbearance to cowardice war to the knife was in his heart and he rushed at charlie with a shower of slogging blows which were meant to end the fight at once but they failed to do so our hero nimbly evaded the blows acting entirely on the defence and when stoker at length paused panting the hamitor was standing before him quite cool and with the grim look intensified if you will have it take it he exclaimed and shot forth a blow which one of the juvenile bystanders described as a stinger on the beak the owner of the beak felt it so keenly that he lost temper and made another savage assault which was met in much the same way with this difference but his opponent delivered several more stingers on the unfortunate beak which after that would have been more correctly described as a bulb again the ex pugilist paused for breath and again the hamitour stood up before him smiling more grimly than ever panting a little it is true but quite unscathed about the face for he had guarded it with great care although he had received some rather severe body blows seeing this stoker descended to mean practices and in his next assault attempted and with partial success to hit below the belt this roused a spirit of indignation in Charlie, which gave strength to his arm and vigour to his action the next time stoker paused for breath Charlie, as the juvenile bystander remarked went for him planted a blow under each eye a third on his forehead and a fourth on his chest with such astounding rapidity and force that the man was driven up against the wall with a crash that shook the whole edifice stoker dropped and remained still there were no seconds no sponges or calling of time at that encounter it was altogether an informal episode and when charlie saw his antagonist drop he kneeled down beside him with a feeling of anxiety lest he had killed him my poor man he said are you much hurt oh no you've no need to fear for me said stoker recovering himself a little and sitting up but i throw up the sponge stoker's day is over when he's knocked out of time by a hammy tour and zook is free to buy all his pot unmolested in fooder come on it was worth a fight to bring you to that state of mind my man said charlie laughing here two of you help to take him down and wash the blood off him and i say youngster he added pulling out his purse and handing a sovereign to the juvenile bystander already mentioned go out and buy sausages for the whole company the boy stared at the coin in his hand in mute surprise while the rest of the ring looked at each other with various expressions for Charlie, in the rebound of feeling caused by his opponent's sudden recovery and submission had totally forgotten his rule and was ordering the people about like one accustomed to command as part of the orders were of such a satisfactory nature the people did not object and to the everlasting honour of the juvenile bystander who resisted the temptation to bolt with the gold a splendid supper of pork sausages was smoking on the various tables of the kitchen of that establishment in less than an hour thereafter when the late hours of the night arrived and most of the paupers were asleep in their poor beds dreaming perchance of better days when pork sausages were not so tremendous a treat little zook went to the table at which charlie sat he was staring at a newspaper but in reality was thinking about his vain search and beginning if truth must be told to feel discouraged charlie said zook sitting down beside his companion or perhaps i should say mr charlie the game's up wi you whatever it was what do you mean zook? well i just mean that it's no matter a use that you try to sail any longer into false colours in this here establishment i must still ask you to explain yourself said charlie with a puzzled look well you know continued the little man with a depreciatory glance when a man in ragged clothes orders people here about as if he was the commander-in-chief of the british army and flings yellow boys about as if he was chancellor of the chequers and orders off offhand for all lands he may be a gentleman very likely he is but he ain't a reduced one such as slopes into lodging-house kitchens whatever little game may have brought you here sir it ain't poverty and nobody will be fool enough in this house to believe it is you're right zook i'm sorry i forgot myself returned charlie with a sigh after all it does not matter much for i fear my little game as you call it was nearly played out and it does not seem as if i were going to win charlie clasped his hands on the table before him and looked at the newspaper somewhat disconsolately it's been all along taken up my cause said the little man with something like a whimper in his voice you've been very kind to me sir and i'd give a lot if i had it and would go a long way if i wasn't lame to help you charlie looked steadily into the honest pale careworn face of his companion for a few seconds without speaking poverty it is said brings together strange bedfellows not less perhaps does it lead to unlikely confidence under a sudden impulse our hero revealed to poor zook the cause of his being there concealing nothing except names you'll excuse me sir said the little man after the narrative was finished but I think you've gone on the summit of a wild-goose chase, for your man may never have come so low as to seek shelter in such places. Possibly, Zook, but he was penniless, and this, or the workhouse, seemed to me the most natural place to look for him in. Have you been to the workhouses, sir? Yes, at least all in this neighborhood. What, in that toggery? asked the little man with a grin. Not exactly, Zook. I can change my shell like the hermit-crabs.' well sir it's my opinion that you may go on till doomsday on this scent and find nothing but there's an old woman as i knows on that might be able to help you Mind i don't say she could but she might moreover if she can she will how asked charlie somewhat amused by the earnestness of his little friend why this way she's a good old soul who lost her husband and her son if i am mistaken through a drink and ever since she has devoted herself body and soul to save men and women from drink she attends temperance meetings and take People there almost drags em in by the scruff of the neck she keeps her eyes open like a weasel and whenever she sees a chance of what she calls plucking a brand out of the fire she plucks it without much regard to burning her fingers sometimes she gets one or another to submit to her treatment and then she locks em up in her ouse though it ain't a big one, and treats em as she calls it she's got one there now it's my belief though whether it's a he or a she i can't tell now she may have seen your friend going about if he stayed long in whitechapel "'It may be so,' returned our hero wearily, for he was beginning to lose heart, and the prospect opened up to him by Zook did not on the first blush of it seem very brilliant. "'When could I see this old woman?' First thing to-morrow, after breakfast, sir.' "'Very well, then you come and breakfast with me at eight. "'I will, sir, with all the pleasure in life, in this ere house, sir, or in a restaurant?' "'Neither in my lodgings, Zook.' Having given his address to the little man, Charlie bade him good night and retired to his pauper bed for the last time. End of chapter 31